All right, do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to gift one to you. If you sent a message to uh, any of our channels online, we would, we would ha- be happy to deliver a Bible to your porch, and uh, we've got some that we um, give away each week, and it'd be a, an honor to be able to bring that by and drop that off for you. This morning, we will also put the passages up on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, don't feel like you're going to get left in the dust. We will do what we can to try to make this as as user-friendly for you. Um, Exodus 33, we are looking at prayers. We're, We're thinking through how we can be a praying people in this season, and we're using uh, prayers that we find in the Bible to help inform and shape the way that we would pray. And so this morning, I want to take you to the prayer of Moses, and this is a really incredible prayer, and it, it's really three different requests, but we also hear from God in it, so we get to see not only how we should pray, but how God behaves, how He is, and how He responds when we ask things like this. Um, but hopefully, by doing this, all of us are growing in our ability to pray. We're growing in our understanding of the kinds of things that we can ask God and what we can expect when we say those sorts of things to him. So we're in Exodus chapter 33, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 23, and then uh, we'll pray and we'll get to work. This is Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and that uh, with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence." I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. Let's pray. Lord, right now we ask that you would please help us to hear your voice. We want to be a praying people, and we're so grateful, God, that you've given us, even within your scripture, you've given us examples and patterns that we can learn from. And so, Lord, we ask that this morning we would learn from you, God, that we would learn how to talk to you, and we would learn what kind of requests are appropriate, and what you do when we make these sorts of requests. God, thank you that you have given us a picture of how we can talk to you. So right now, we commit this time to you. We ask that by your spirit, through your word, you'd be 
communicating to each of us that we would know Jesus better for the time that we spent in his word. We pray in his precious name. Amen and amen. So again, I hope that this is very practical, and I hope that, you know, there are three different things here that Moses is asking for, so this becomes a very easy thing for us to kind of onboard into our own lives as well as we begin to pray to God in these sorts of ways. But let's go ahead and just think about the context briefly. If you think about what's going on, and some of you might be familiar with the story, many of you maybe not, but uh, God has rescued a people who are in slavery. It's his people, it's his promised people that he had declared what he was going to do through them. And they were in slavery in Egypt for a season, and he redeemed them. He brought them out of slavery and, and out of that situation in Egypt. And then he leads them into the desert wilderness. And they find themselves at the base of a mountain where Moses keeps going up to the top of the mountain, and God is speaking to him. A cloud comes down on the top, and the mountain shakes, and, and, and everything shakes, and people are shaking, and God is communicating to Moses, and, and while that's happening, it, it drags on for a little bit, and the people begin to think, Moses is never coming back. He went up the mountain, and maybe we'll never see him again, and so they fashion an idol. They take all of their gold, and they form it into a golden calf, and this is actually just in chapter 32, the chapter right before where we're at, and they begin to worship this item of gold, this golden calf, and they begin to say, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery. And God says to Moses, go down there, that people, they're a stubborn people, they're a stiff-necked people, and I'm about to destroy them. And I wish that we had time to go into all of the different prayers that Moses offers up, but it really is incredible that, that Moses begins to intercede on behalf of the people, and he says, no, do not destroy them, destroy me instead. He kind of has that sacrificial love of saying, I, please do, do not do this group any harm. You could do that harm to me. And God spares the people. And then God tells them, um, I'm going to send you where I'm going to send you. And I'm going to send my angel with you. This is actually now in chapter 33, but he says, I'll send my angel with you and he will give you victory over those enemies that will be there in the places that I'm going to send you up uh, to. But then he says in, in, in verse 3, he says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So God is saying to the group, he's saying, You're going to go, and my angel's going to go with me, and you're going to go to the promised land, the, the land flowing with milk and honey, but I can't go with you because you are a sinful people, and God is a holy God. And then Moses begins to pray. And that's what we find here. We find these three different requests. But the big question is, what is God, a holy God, going to do with this people, a sinful people who've rebelled against him? What is the future for this very frail community? What's the future for, for these people? And this has relevance for them, but for us as well. How does God interact with us in our fallenness, in our frailty, in our sinfulness? How does God consider us? How does he deal with us? And then how should we pray to him? And that's what Moses is doing here in Exodus 33. He begins to pray, and he prays for three very pointed things. The first thing that he prays for is, God, teach me your ways. You've given me your favor. 
teach me your ways so that I may continue to experience more of you, so I may continue to have your favor and remember that this is your people. Now, this is in the context of that daunting task. If you look at verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. He's looking at this incredible task that God has placed before him, and he's saying, this is hard. And given the circumstances, I'm not sure that I'm up for it. So in light of that, God, teach me more about yourself. Teach me your ways. In fact, that's how he prays in verse 12. He says, um, I know you by name and you found favor with me. That's what you've said to me, God. But if you're pleased with me, verse 13 Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. So here's the first request that we need to be making to God. We need to be able to say to God, in light of this, the circumstances that we go through, whatever they might be, the challenges that we're presently facing with the global pandemic and things like that, but all, through all of life and all of the challenges, we ought to be able to say, God, teach us about yourself. Teach me your ways so that I might have your favor. And it really shows up in, in a few different ways. When you're asking God to teach you about himself, you're asking about a few different things. One of the things that you're asking really is, um, is a prayer that's really focused at God. You're, you're really asking about God. You're asking about what he prefers. It, the, the word way is often used in the Old Testament to talk about a way of life. It's a, it's a pattern of life. It's a way of walking. It's an ethical thing where we say, okay, God, you've got certain things, uh, behaviors and attitudes that you want your people to, to have and to display. And so, God, would you teach me those things so that I might walk in accordance with what you desire? There's this relational term as well. Teach me your ways so that I may know you. It's, it's talking about, I don't just want to know that there is a God. I don't want to know theoretically just about God. I mean, lots of people can have that sort of head knowledge, but Moses is saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. I want to have more of you. And so it's really all about God. And, and another thing that we recognize when we pray this way is it's an ongoing prayer. Now, Moses is not a spring chicken here. He is 80 plus years old. He spent 40 years in the palace setting. And then he went out into the desert wilderness and, you know, he was there for 40 more years. And then God gave him the assignment to go and, and be his instrument where God was going to use him as a leader to bring his people out of Egypt. So Moses is over 80 years old and he's had all kinds of different experiences with God already. He's watched God deliver his people. He's watched God reveal himself through the plagues. He's seen the glory of God on display through the plagues visited on Egypt. He's seen a burning bush, a bush that was on fire, and God communicated to him through that burning bush, and God called him by name and gave him that assignment there. He's watched God on display as he went up the mountaintop and got the Ten Commandments and heard from the voice of God and all these different things. And here he is, an old man having lots of experiences of God. But what is he requesting? I want more. Teach me your ways. So I hope that when I'm 80 years old, I continue to pray that way. God, show me more of yourself. Not just head knowledge. I want to know you. 
I want to know what it looks like to walk faithfully beside you. I want to know your ways. I want you. I want your favor. And I want more and more and more of that. But another thing that we notice here is that it's not just for ourselves, but it actually has something to do with other people. That's why in verse 13, he said, remember that this nation is your people. You've told me, God, that you want me to lead this people. You've not told me who's going to come with me, but remember, these are your people. In other words, Moses isn't just praying for himself, but he's praying that God would reveal his character and his goodness and his ways so that it would actually spill over and be a blessing for the entire community. Knowledge of God has an impact on the other people around us. And so I would even put it like this. If you claim to know God, but it doesn't show up in your relationships, we're not talking about the same thing. A true knowledge of God will actually show up in relational beauty. It will be a blessing to the people around you. It will actually result in their experiencing something more of the goodness of God. And so when we're praying in that way, we're not just saying, God, give us information. Give us this head knowledge. Give us this pride in our understanding of you or in your word or anything like that. It's saying, God, I want to know you for the sake of other people. We should be praying in that way right now. God, help us to be wise in this moment so that people would be able to observe the lives of Christians and see something of the glory of God. Not only that, but it would be magnetic. I mean, this was really the the way that the people of God have always been. They're a missionary people of God who God set his affections on them for the sake of many. He blessed them to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so Moses is praying, God, teach me more of you and your ways so that I might have your favor for the sake of other people. Let's learn to pray like that. God, help us know you, walk with you, experience you for the sake of other people. We can pray that way today. Here's how God responds to Moses in verse 14. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses says, teach me your ways. And God says, my presence will go with you. Not only that, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God is telling Moses that when you begin to pray in this way, in this desire to have more of God and more of who he is and more of what he's like and to have that be a part of the fabric of your experience, God says, you'll get me. I'm not just going to give you knowledge. I'm going to give you my presence. And that presence will result in rest. Now, if you are familiar with the story, it's not an easy story. It's not that they left from Mount Sinai and it just got all easy peasy. It was very challenging and they went through lots of struggles and difficulties and, and things like that. But nonetheless, you can still trace that feature of the presence of God in their experiences. And you can say that even in the midst of adversity, God was providing for them. He was giving them himself and he was giving them rest even though there were armies surrounding them and flanking them and encroaching upon them, and even though they lived in that desert wilderness for 40 years and they wandered around, and even though they had some you know, conflict within the community itself, that whole time God continued to give of himself to that community and, and all the while also give them rest. Now, isn't that an amazing promise that God can say, if you'll pray this sort of way, I will give you myself 
and I'll give you rest. As I think about our church family right now and the struggles that people are going through, various struggles, I think about the need for this. We should be praying, God, we need you. We need you. We need your presence. We need your rest. Teach us your ways, Lord, so that we might have your favor and display it to a watching world. But also, Lord, give us that benefit of your presence and your rest. Well, that's the second request that shows up then, having asked for knowledge of God, that God would teach him his ways, God replies, I'll give you my presence and I'll give you rest. And so Moses gets bold here and he says, okay, well, let me just put it like this, God. This is a very kind of bold assertion, but he says, if you don't go, I don't want to go either. Look at verse 15. It says, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. It's a wild assertion because remember where they're at right now. They're at, the mount, they're, they're at the base of the mountain and they're in the desert wilderness and God is saying, I'm going to take you into the promised land. I'm going to take you into Canaan. I'm going to give, gift that land to you. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of good provisions and you're going to experience that blessing. And Moses is saying in this moment at the base of the mountain and he's thinking about this and he's in the desert wilderness and he says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to go there. In fact, uh, Alec Motier in his commentary, he puts it like this and he's, he's pointing to the reality that this is the request of a true believer. Alec Motier says, we can feel the spiritual heartbeat of a real person of God in Moses' prayer who deemed it better to remain permanently in a desert place than to get into a land flowing with milk and honey and find that the Lord was not there with him. That's what Moses is doing here. He is saying, I don't care about what, you know, Canaan has to offer us. I don't care about that land flowing with milk and honey. Here's what I really care about. Will you be with us? Will your presence go with us? Will you come with us? Because if we don't have you, it's not good enough. The, the promised land is not good enough. The blessings alone are not good enough. Those are second best and by far not good enough for us. We want you. Moses is praying. He's asking, God, please give us more of yourself. And the truth is, this is what a Christian really is. It's a person who doesn't just want the blessings of God. It's a person who wants God. Um, you know, Psalm 73, 25, it puts it like this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's saying, the psalmist is saying, and Moses is saying, and I'm saying, what we want is God. And anything less than that will be insufficient. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, he has a really insightful question that he puts to his audience, he says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends that you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And the answer we ought to say is, Absolutely not. 
If Jesus isn't there, it's not good enough. All those things are good. We acknowledge that. They're good in and of themselves. But at the end of the day, what we want is God. And Moses says, if you're not going with us, don't even send us. We want your presence. And I hope that you're able to say to God in your prayers, starting today and forever, you say to God, what I want is you. The promised land isn't good enough. And right now, you know, as we go through COVID-19 and a global pandemic, we might fill in the promised land in different ways. And, you know, being a leader and seeing kind of how our people are responding to this thing, I know that we're a divided nation and a divided society and a divided congregation. And so the promised land experience might be filled in in different ways by different people. But at the end of the day, let's begin to pray like this. I don't care about the promised land. I don't care about getting to that promised destination of the things that I want and things going the way that I hope that they will become. If God isn't there, it's not good enough. And if you kind of had that, that option of go straight into the promised land today and God's not there, but you have all the blessings and all the provisions versus you walk in the desert wilderness for 40 years, but God goes with you. Here's what I'm choosing. Let's go with God and let's trust that that would be much better and better for us anyways. Come what may. Let's begin to pray like Moses and say, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, we want nothing to do with it. We want you. God, you are our desire. You are our treasure. Jesus, you are everything to us. We need you. We need your presence. We need it not only for our own sake, but also for the mission. Look at verse 16. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? What else will set us apart? If we don't have your presence, God, how would anyone ever know the privileged relationship that we have? You've called us to be on mission. You've called us to display your glory to a watching world. But if your presence isn't in our midst, how on earth are we going to do that? As a church, as a as the people of God, we need to be able to say, look, if God's presence isn't resident in, his, in this community, we have no shot at helping other people know, come to know Jesus in a saving way. How would we even be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth? I don't want to look the exact same. I've been thinking about this a lot in my neighborhood and with my family and friends. I don't want people to look at my life and to say, that's totally explainable. That looks like everybody else in the same community. He's just living his life the same exact way that everyone else does. Now, I want the presence of God to be so evident in my life that it's like a magnet drawing people who are far from God to the glory of God into the person and work of Jesus Christ. I hope you want that as well, that you would recognize this is the mission that God has given us, and we need God in our midst to get about this work. We're, we're a church, and that means that we want to reach people who are far from God. But in order to do that, we would need the Spirit of God, the presence of God in our midst. And this is the way it's always been. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it's the book that, you know, is coming right up. But Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is talking about this feature, and it's the feature that has always been a part of being the people of God. God says, I'm going to choose you and bless you for the sake of the mission so that all the nations of the earth would experience something of God's goodness through them. And, and Moses puts it like this in Deuteronomy 4. He's saying, people are going to notice us when we live this thing out, when we 
live, you know, walking in the ways of the Lord. And when we walk according to his ways and we have his presence with us, they're going to say things like this. What other nation, this is Deuteronomy 4, 7, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? See, if God is with us, other people are going to notice that and they're going to say, nobody else has this dynamic feature about them, but the people of God have God in their midst. Let's pray that way. God, we want your presence. And if your presence isn't with us, then we're just going to sit here until you give us that assurance. We know that we're a a frail and sinful people, but we want you, God. We want you in our midst so that your glory might be on display to the ends of the earth. And God replies, verse 17, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. God says, that is a prayer that I'm going to honor. That's a prayer that I'm going to answer. I will send my presence with you and people will take note of it. Here's the third one. Having already asked for the teaching of God and having asked for the presence of God, now Moses goes for broke and he says, okay, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. Here's what he's saying. I know something of your glory. I saw the burning bush. I saw your glory there. I saw your glory descend on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it and the the mountain itself quaked under the, the weight and the gravity of who you are. I saw something of your glory there. I saw something of your glory in the 10 plagues that you visited on Egypt and their rebellion. And I saw something of your glory in all these different ways. But now Moses is saying, God, if you're going to continue to give me more of yourself, more of your favor, I'm going to continue to ask, show me your glory. And God says, that's not possible. He puts it like this. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. God says that is a very audacious request, and here's the truth. You can't handle it. You can't look on my glory unshielded and make it out alive. No one can see me and live. But here's what I'll do, Moses. I will allow my goodness to pass by you. I will proclaim my name before you. My name, Yahweh, or the Lord, or, or I am. He says, I will proclaim my name. And there's something about that name. In fact, the next chapter where this comes true, where God reveals his name to Moses, is one of the most important chapters in <clears throat> all of Scripture. And the theme shows up over and over and over again. The Lord, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, able to forgive and able to punish. That name is revealed to Moses and it becomes a huge factor in how people consider the God who is. But here God is saying, I will only allow my goodness to come by you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, before you. I will have mercy, and that's a part of his name, and I will have compassion, and that's a part of his name. But he says, but you cannot see my face and live. And so here's how it works, verses 21 and following. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my my face must not be seen. Here's what he's doing. He is 
shielding Moses so that he can experience something more of the glory of God. Moses has now made this third request, and it's a request to see the glory of God, and that's what we should be we should be praying for that as well. We don't just want an ordinary experience of a holy and awesome God. We want to see him for who he is. Show us your glory, God. And God will say to us, that is not exactly possible for you to experience that in all of its un, unveiled weight. You can't handle that. I love the, the story of Pilgrim's Progress when they're getting closer and closer to the city of God where God resides, they start to get sick. Pilgrim and Christian and his friend are moving toward the city, and, and as they get closer and closer, the glory of the city is so radiant that it's almost toxic to them because they're not prepared for it. It's like, you know, being out in the sun too long and you get, you get sick from it. It's like they were getting closer to the glory of God, and they weren't fashioned for it. They weren't ready for it. They weren't accustomed to it, and so they get sick. And God is saying, look, you can't experience all of my glory in this present experience that you're in right now, but I will make a provision for you, Moses, so that you can see something of my goodness. I will cover you, and then I'll remove my hand from you, having passed by you, and you'll be able to see kind of the, the afterglow of the glory of God. And God will do that not only for Moses, he'll do that for us as well. He accommodates himself to us. He makes himself known to us, and he not only does that in those exceptional moments like Moses is having here, but it's something that God has been doing all along. It's kind of a confusing part of the story, but, but God has been leading this people. And, and again, the question is, what is a holy God going to do with an unholy people? And God has already said, I've, I've put my angel among you. That angel's going to give you victory. That angel's going to lead you into the promised land. And, and Moses says, well, you know, you're, you're asking me to do this, but I'm not sure who you're going to send with me. He already told you, dude. He told you the angel's going with you. And Moses hasn't connected the dots yet. But God does that for us. And as we look back on it, we can begin to see things even more clearly. God has already revealed his glory to Moses. The angel is a part of the glory of God. When God speaks of the angel that he's going to set up in the camp with them and Exodus 23, verses 20 and 21, he puts it like this. He says, see, I'm sending an angel ahead of you. I'm putting an angel in your midst. And then he goes on to say, do not, he says, pay attention to him. Listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion. And he says this, since my name is in him. Listen, the angel gives us something of the glory of God. Now, the angel was there, and Moses didn't even perceive the glory of God in this angel. But what if that angel communicates to us something of who God is? What if that angel is more than just some other angel? What if that angel really is God in a physical and tangible and presentable way, making himself known to his people? Alec Motier in his commentary, this is how he puts it. He says, the angel, is God, the, the angel is God's real and true presence, but it's his presence adjusted to dwell among sinners so that God can accompany them, lead them, bring them into what he promised. In other words, the angel of the Lord is a preview of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God saying, I'm going to be with you. My presence is going with you. My name is going to be among you. And that name reveals God's 
glory in some way. So we, friends, we as Christians, we can look back on this account and we can see how Moses is praying for something that we actually get to see in high definition. We get to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3 puts it like this. This is what's happening to believers. We are beholding the glory of God in the face of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And while we do that, we are increasingly becoming like him by the Spirit of God. We see something of the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and then we become like that glory. We are transformed more and more into his image by the Spirit of God. So here's what we should do, friends. Three things we should be praying for. Pray that God would teach you his ways, that he would grant you even more of his favor, that you would have that wisdom and that discernment to be able to navigate this uncertain season and navigate all of life in a way that's pleasing to him. Ask that you would have his presence, that he would be with you, that you don't just have an awareness of him, but you have him with you. And ask finally for his glory, that God would reveal his glory to you and believe that that glory comes into high definition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God wants to give you the answer to those prayers today. So let's pray right now. Would you bow with me, please? Lord, we thank you that you desire to teach us your ways. And we should ask for that then. Lord, teach us your ways and give us your favor. We're grateful, God, that you gift us with your presence. We want to be a church and a people who are filled with your spirit and who are walking with you in our midst in a way that's tangible, that's noticeable, that people can observe and they can see that God is among them. Lord, help us to see your glory. We, we want to know more of you. We want, to be, we want to be awestruck by who you are. And we understand, God, that we can't handle it all at once. But we're grateful, God, that you give us glimpses of your glory. You give us more and more and more of yourself. And we see it very clearly in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God in his face, in his work, in his awesome redeeming work for us. Help us to see that and trust in him and believe in him and surrender our lives to him. We pray it all in his name. Amen and amen.